Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Broadway Babble with me, Matt Barry. So today's episode, we're going to take a small departure from analyzing a musical. And what's the most important thing about a musical? Besides the director and the actors and everything, singing. And to be a good singer, you need a special voice teacher. So I thought for this week's episode, we would interview my voice teacher, Amelia, from Paris. She's helped me through so much, working with her for about two years now, and I thought it would be a fun little introduction. She comes from the opera world, and when working together, we were bridging the gap between musical theater style and classical operatic singing. So let's take a dive into voice lessons and voice teaching. So <laughs> thank you so much for coming on to the podcast, for doing such a different episode than we usually do. So why don't you just take a few minutes and why don't you introduce yourself and tell us why you love singing. Okay, well, um, so I am a, more of a classical singer, meaning that I mostly make money singing in operas or like, you know, anything of the classical music genre um and yeah and then we know each other because i also teach voice and you were like my favorite and best and most talented student ever oh, <laughs> go on um, <laughs> and yeah so, so that's about it living in paris yeah um, so i know you're you are an american so how did singing take you from the United States to Paris? Um, so I did a study abroad when I was, I did my um, undergrad at SUNY Purchase, which actually has a really good music program. And um, they had an opportunity for the music students to study at conservatories in Europe. So I was like, um, I'll take Paris. Thank you very much. <laughs> and I studied here a semester. And I was like, oh, this place is really nice. And the bread is delish. Um, and the men are handsome. And I didn't really know actually how advantageous it was to be a musician or just like an artist in France. Um, but after I finished my undergrad, because I, I, I had to go back to the US, um, but after I finished my undergrad, I found like a work opportunity to come here, not even like for singing in the beginning. And I was just like, let's do this. Um, and then everybody's like, oh, obviously you've come to France because you want to be uh, an intermittent de spectacle, which is this artist status that um, uh, pays you for every day you don't work out of the month. So it kind of like stabilizes financially your situation. And I was like, what? Wait, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> Paid for no work. I like it. <laughs> like I did not come here for this, but now I'm just going to stay. Um, and yeah, so I've now, so then I started getting work, a long story short, short, um, I finally ended up getting more and more work as, uh, a singer in France and I got this like special status and now it's been 11 years and I imagine what it's like to be an artist. And so. 
Wow, 11 years. <laughs> 11 years. I know, I know. And now I'm like, with what's happening with my career and also just the general like, um, like financial problems we're facing in France right now. I'm looking at working in Germany and I'm just like, God, like, ugh, I don't want to leave. I like it here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So I know you started by saying that you are a classical singer. Yeah. And I, obviously, I know you're a soprano. Would you mind telling our listeners what the different types of sopranos are in the opera and classical world considering in musical theater it's just considered soprano and belter so this whole classical world yeah. is a lot more classification yeah yeah well we question though does like if in the musical theater world if you're like a legit like soprano and can can you be both can you be yeah. considered a and yes a you can consider to be both but it's not quite as stagnant as in the opera world as being um label like a right. lyric soprano right. um a Wagnerian soprano right yeah so, soprano and belter are the two categories right now. well yeah well there's just like a lot less um fluidity in the mm -hmm. opera world um in the sense that um they really like to box you into a voice set especially i was talking about germany they love to just have you in your fuck it's called it's, mm -hmm. it's like the voice type and you have like a certain repertoire list and there's actually an official fuck book <laughs> the fuck book and, <laughs> yeah, no. and it like um this is so german and it like has like every role in every opera that you're allowed to sing and like so for my fuck um which is um a young dramatic soprano because then there's also just like dramatic soprano but in that fuck they have like 60 roles that like, you know, I have to know or that I could potentially sing, but you cannot go out of them. So if someone's like, um, yeah, we know that Brunhilde is like more of the heavier fuck, but we'd like you to sing that, you know, you're not, that doesn't, you know, that just doesn't happen. You're not jumping <laughs> out. And yeah. do you so, find yeah. that limiting for yourself or do you find that with being within the classical world that there are kind of enough roles um that's a good question adapt to that classifying well it depends on the country and also on your voice type so by mm -hmm. country i mean that um every country has its like particular like you know favorite operas or like the you know the the rep like what that you'll hear every season is going to be different um in paris versus berlin versus um wherever rome so if you're a more of like have that Germanic voice and you're singing all the roles that they're constantly putting on in Germany, for example, then definitely it's advantageous for you. But if like you're like me, which is kind of where I'm at right now, where if you're living in France and France, they love more of like operetta and then mm -hmm. more like the, um, they go for more of like the, you know, the operas that everybody knows, like Traviata and whatnot, because they also don't have as much money, so they can't play around as much with lesser known operas. They try to go for the big ones. And um, so in that case, you know, if you have that kind of voice that works for those roles, which is normally like a light lyric or a coloratura, um, you'll find more work. But um, in the 60s, it's funny, they, they used to like be more of a crossover, like Maria Callas, she sang everything. I mean, 
people could talk about her technique and if they really liked her or not. But um, she, she, she even sang Carmen, which is, you know, mezzo. Um, It's it's really been like the past 15, 20 years where we just tried more and more to kind of define a voice. And I think it's just because there's less work and in order to really find a career arc, you have to start young at forming someone so that when there's a theater director that's saying like, oh, we need for next season this particular role, they'll think of you because you've been like forged into that. Um, Absolutely. So So then speaking of that starting young, um, when did you start singing and getting into the classical world? Because it's always like, you know, I love classical music and I love operas and I started listening when I was about 12, but that's very rare for yeah young people especially in the united states to totally. adore classical music enough to delve into that world totally no i was like you i mean i you know my grandparents took me to the opera too when i was a kid but i loved musical theater i lived in new york and that's all i wanted to do like i begged my parents to let me audition for cosette when i was seven and they're like bitch go to school like you can do this when you're an adult <laughs> like, but um but then when I was 18, or when I was like thinking about going to school, um, my teacher at the time, uh, who had done both class, he had gone to Oberlin, so he had done like the mm-hmm. classical, but also the musical theater route. He was like, you know, you probably, it's a bit more interesting to get that classical education. And then when you graduate at 22, if you want to do Broadway, that's like the perfect time. Like, just go into it. Just make sure you're taking tap classes while you're at school. You yeah. <laughs> Everyone just needs to do a little tap dance in their life. <laughs> um, so then my yeah. next question is, because obviously in our voice lessons, obviously yeah. I'm, I'm musical theater through and through, yeah. runs in my blood. Yes. Um, what what would you say are the the few biggest distinctions between classical singing and Broadway or musical theater style singing? Because it still is, and we've talked about this in our lessons. It's still yeah. a basis of good technique. Yeah, I mean, basis that can be applied to both. Right. I mean, like number one thing, and that's why I think it was so interesting to learn good classical technique is learning how to breathe and you mm-hmm. like be on your breath and also how to really relax all the muscles around your vocal cords. So you're not creating all this tension, which makes like, you know, all sorts of difficulties. But um, after that, I mean, I think it's a question of like styles because mm-hmm. You know, when you're classically, when you're in the classical technique, you're really looking for that like round, like high soft palette. For any people who are listening to this, are like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> Sorry, I'm cursing. Maybe I shouldn't curse. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> um, but just that more of that, ooh, 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 yeah. kind of sound, yeah. Um, which is there to project your voice in, you know, creating an artificial projection within your body. And when musical theater, you don't need as much of that because you're mic'd. Exactly. Even, even a belt, like, I mean, I think belting originally was because you weren't mic'd and they wanted to. Yeah, well, I know, like, obviously the, the queen of belting is, will probably be like Ethel Merman. Yeah. And I know the original techniques, and I believe it was also the same even with Barbara Streisand and Funny Girl, it was originally floor mics. You weren't individually mic'd. So even to sound, 
you even had to be louder on even though you were being mic to make sure your sound was cutting through more to yeah up more yeah so I mean obviously right with the belting you don't need as much of a mic sound but I'm wondering with belting how far the sound goes mm -hmm. right like it's loud but will it like hit the last row and I guess as yeah. theaters have gotten bigger it's just like it's, and also the sound is so much louder now like the last time I saw Wicked I thought like my ears were bleeding at the end like yeah Wicked is one of those shows where it's it's great belting, but I always find it's very in your face and sometimes very spread. Yeah, and just and like, like I want a healthy mix. Yeah, like they like really like it. I mean, it's for the people that like also you know come in from New Jersey and they used to like Bruce Springsteen concerts. No, not <laughs> yeah. just, not just, but right, they like likes that big sound. And so I'm guessing what happens in classical in the classical world is just that we never nothing's amped, uh, mic'd. Um, mm -hmm. so, yeah, and I know that was, um, the biggest adjustment I know for Renee Fleming, the famous, uh, soprano in the opera world, but she's also, um, two years ago did Carousel, yeah, Carousel yeah. and her biggest problem, well, not problem, but adjustment was learning to sing and to rely on a microphone, yeah, not just provide that full amplification. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's so and bizarre. It's like, I can't imagine singing without a mic. I'm like, I need one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's what it comes down to. Because um, there's so many nuances that you can do with a microphone. And there's so many nuances that you can do when you're not using a microphone, but it's like two different, like it's a paradigm shift. It's just like two different worlds. Um, so I guess, yeah, you're learning more. I think a lot more of musical theater is also about like express expression. Like, whereas in the opera world, expression comes through beauty of the voice. You know, mm -hmm. if I want to like sound ugly while I sing opera, that's and it's a it's an artistic choice that won't fly, no matter what my role is and no matter what I'm saying. Like if I'm like, yeah. I'm gonna kill myself and I hate you, well, it better sound really nice while I'm singing it. Yeah, there's not as that much leeway and I also think one of the things with opera is a lot of the emotion not only comes from the actors but it's really also built into the music I think even yeah. more so than oh, musical theater whereas in musical definitely. theater it's more the lyrics yeah definitely not so everyone right. knows German not everyone knows French not everyone knows Italian so the music and melody needs to convey the story definitely. More so than in an English musical theater we know the we know the line definitely the same language well, also, I think the text has to be so much clearer in musical theater. Like the diction has to be on point. So that's maybe another difference in technique. And I'm not saying like, I, you, know, you don't talk to like a coach because I'll say like an opera coach will say like, you know, opera diction, like your diction while you're singing is so important, but you just don't understand it as well because all the vowels are so modified because you're opening so much in the back to create this artificial sound that's like projecting out to like the very last row. So I think, yeah, I think in the opera world, you would choose beauty over diction, whereas in the Broadway world, you choose diction over beauty. Oh, I, yeah, I 100% totally. agree know. there. Yeah, at its core, it is. And I also just think, and I just thought of this going back to what we were saying with the belting, and you see this with me too, and I think the world now is with belting is just higher is better. Yeah. Whereas 
I know like when we're looking at Ethel Merwin and Barbara Streisand, they weren't really belting that high. Yeah. Compared to like what people are being asked to do today. Yeah. So I always do wonder with that sound carrying that higher sound it's got to be also creating more residual effects that aren't pleasing to some of the audience members but are still going wild <laughs> because it's yeah high belting I know again like when I saw Wicked and every time the alphabet optioned up to like an F or a G I was sitting there going yes <laughs> whether or not it sounded well like because I was like I just want the high note and you know yeah. me I put in certain songs I put so many just random yeah options up because I was like this is what I want to do because yeah. singing higher and louder is in the Broadway world can be considered like oh you're a, a great singer even if it's not proper yeah I mean it, right to have that like impressive but only to be able to sing that high you have to have a good technique other I mean otherwise it'll crack you can't just like sing yeah. in your forever and it's actually when you listen to classical tenors sing their high notes, like, it's the same exact sound. Maybe just a little bit more rounder at times. Yeah, it always is, which always, like, baffles me. <laughs> yeah. Well, tenor, I mean, and we always laugh about tenors, because, like, we just say, like, there's nothing in their heads, because they're just, like, you know, they just, like... <laughs> Dumb. As a tenor, I will say that. <laughs> oh, but no, not about, but we don't say that. I don't know if you said about um, Broadway singers. It's just, you know, just um, tenor. I think in the Broadway world, uh, tenors are can, treated like sopranos, in like in in the like choirs or stuff where it's like the sopranos are like, where's line one? Yeah, top line, eyes <laughs> melody. Okay, great. Thank you. Yeah. Especially, I think yeah. nowadays musical theater tenors are just high belt, high belt. I know. Anyone yet? And I also know what's oh definitely. I think I... yeah. Go yeah. ahead. No, 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 no. I was going to say with the high belting, I also just thought of this uh, artist thingy in general is I know a lot of shows that are being created now, mm -hmm. um, which is obviously very different from the classical world. There's not a lot of classical repertoire that's being made kind of at the same speed as musical yes. theater. But I know yes. a lot of singers and a lot of tenors will put in these high notes yeah. that are hard to hit for job stability. Yeah. They created it and they're like, uh, they know I can uh, hit this note. Right. I know that happened with um, Kevin Chamberlain in the Adams family. Mm -hmm. He threw in a high C in one song because he can hit it because he's classically trained. And he had that job from the beginning of the reading process all the wow. way to closing night because he was one of the only people that could hit a tenor high C in the Broadway world. He's like claiming his role by his like. That's so, that's so funny. That's Yeah. <laughs> and I know it's also like, kind of, kind of the same thing, but Kelly O'Hara, who's a great theater soprano, during Bridges in Madison County, it was usually, it was originally written to be lower. Mm -hmm. But Kelly O'Hara was like, no, I want to go higher. I want to sing in this operatic Italian world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then the show got built around her. So I think we're seeing a lot more of that in musical theater obviously it's compared like no one's going to rewrite Carmen for this yeah. one surprise well, like if you can hit the notes you can hit the notes right I mean well first of all going back to Carmen they have been there's revisited Carmen there's a black Carmen yeah 
which is cool. But right, they're not rewriting the music, but they're trying to revisit the story and try. But then this is such an interesting thing to talk about, like why we're not um, producing new operas and why we're just singing the same repertoire that has been available for like 400 years. And yeah, how right. there's so much less of an interaction between the singers and the creators as opposed to Broadway. Um, yeah, I know it, it's always interesting, especially like, I mean, I I love all, all these operas that like Carmen yeah. and, and Puccini, like they they are like the standards or the classics. Yeah. But it's like there are these new operas that are being created, but they just yeah. aren't giving the same platform at. Yeah, Paris Opera House, the Met Opera, Germany, all over. As yeah, quickly as new work on Broadway is put up. Yeah, well, I mean, I think the the thing is though, like it's it's hard to compare because New York and the West End are just like these microcosms. Absolutely. Like you know, there's there's so much. I mean, yeah, they're kind of within their own world of creation and how it works and the rules, whereas like. Opera already, what's complicated, I think, is it's an international art. You know, the top yeah. singers aren't just singing in Paris and that's it, or in London. They're like, you know, going all Jet over the place. setting around the world. That's, the, that's where I'm in a few years. <laughs> nice. um, but then the, and then the other question is like, they're not just, they're just not getting, it's so much more expensive, I think, to put on an opera than to put on a show. And shows are already insanely expensive. Mm -hmm. um, but if you think about like even the chorus, they're making like triple what a chorus would on Broadway. Yeah, I think I read somewhere that the Met chorus, um, a senior person in the Met chorus can make about 200,000 a year. Yeah. I'm like, sign which, me up. <laughs> yeah, which is like, you can barely live in New York on that anymore. <laughs> oh, a hundred percent. But it's compared <laughs> it to like, like ten years. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but compared to like Broadway, the way, like the Broadway economics, from what I understand of it, it's like I know where I've heard like a lot of ensemble members yeah. are having a second job on top of their regular yeah. theater, or they're doing freelance yeah. or something, or like. we. Also, the schedule is more grueling. Yeah. For the theater world, where it's that eight times a week, where I believe in the opera, if you're in a show, it may be like twice a week, if I'm remembering that's, correctly. And you don't do a show for more than a month and a half. And that's another problem, too. So, like, if you put on a new show in the Broadway world, you're like, okay, well, this is like, you know, they just wrote it, just produced it, da 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 da. At least we know it's going to run for a few years. Whereas you put all this work into this opera and then it's vanished after one month. It's insane. It's so interesting, especially for me and probably for you, like both loving both these worlds. Yeah. And yeah. at least from a singing point of view, like, and even an acting point of view, like we see how very similar they are. Yeah. That they are beyond so different, even just culturally yeah so different in in, yeah. in the world mm -mm -mm. um so then shifting away from that classical and I want to get into yeah. a little bit of voice teaching and what mm -hmm. you see so how did you get into 
teaching voice lessons? Um, well, I mean, it was my side hustle in the beginning. Um, before I was making enough where I could, I could choose if I wanted to teach or not. But then um, what's really interesting about it now and the reason I keep doing it, even though I don't necessarily like, like have to do it. <laughs> but, you know, I don't, you know, it's, it's more like I can survive without it. Um, is that um, you're constantly as a, as a classical singer and maybe it's like this in the broader world as well, but you're constantly trying to, um, you're striving for a better technique and mm -hmm. you understand something else about your instrument. And quite often to understand fully, I have to be able to teach that to somebody else and to see that it works for them. So yeah. I can, you know, because and it becomes less of a mystery once I'm able to explain it and, and pass it on. And, and yeah, so that's why I keep teaching right now. It's, it's, you guys are all my guinea pigs. <laughs> I was going to say, I guess I was a guinea pig. <laughs> no, I'm telling you, now that you're not here anymore, I'm like, okay, I can tell. No, I mean, obviously what I'm teaching you is some, it's not like experimental. It's like something that I know works, but I know it works for me. I don't, you're never really sure because every body is so different and you're never really sure that it'll hundred percent work for someone else until you see it happening. So hundred, hundred percent. I know I even, and I told you this, um, yeah. if I have friends singing songs that I've sung, yeah. I'm, already, I'm already telling them like, okay, here are trouble spots, here are, yeah. <laughs> here's how I, I attack it, here's how I do this, see if that works. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, trial by air. It is. Um, but I mean, I would even suggest to you now, you've been taking singing lessons long enough where like you can definitely give lessons on your own because you understand enough where you can start guiding people in the right direction. Um, so yeah. So I'll be coming for your gig. <laughs> take, There'll be two take. of us in Paris. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. No, seriously though. It's, um, it's really important, I think on every level. Yeah. Hmm. And then, so with your students, and uh, feel free to throw me under the bus, oh, no. what are some of the common things that you've noticed with your students that you are always tending to work on? Because I'm sure you have students ranging from, like me, musical yeah. theater, to maybe people wanting more pop sound for people, yeah. to people who are doing like a legit classical route. Yeah. Well, I mean, most students that come to me, like, they're either, right, they're doing like the Broadway thing like you are, or um, they're more into pop music because that's what everybody's exposed to. I don't know, mm -hmm. I don't wanna like put a label on that. It's not good or bad, it's just what you hear. And people hear like a Billie Eilish song and they're like, that's damn cool, but I can't sing it as well as she can. And then they, you know, they come in for a voice lesson, which is super funny, but what's, it, what's also enjoyable is to them like, you know, do what I even did with you, kind of like mix it up a little bit. And like, we're like, oh, why don't we look at the 24 Italian song and Aria book this week? <laughs> and to, and I find that singing one genre does not take away from another genre if you're doing it correctly. Um, no, no, it helps so much. Yeah, and like Renee Fleming, the fact that she, I mean, you even hear it when she sings Carousel. There's like too much opera in her sound sometimes. And I'm kind of like, you know, you couldn't have, 
try, I mean, I understand where you're having this huge career, you can't be doing a million things at once, but I think it's really important as a singer to stay versatile and stay flexible and to be able to switch like into a belt or switch into, and not just stick with your repertoire because it just makes you that much richer as a, like an, a human instrument. Yeah, and it's also, it's uh, like you, in any sense, if you just stay with one thing, keep doing the same thing, it loses all value from it. It becomes robotic and yeah and, and anything and that's why i mean i know for my voice lessons yeah we, we sang much obviously all all musical theater all musical theater but there were always yeah. times where even if we weren't looking at a classical piece we would rev, we would sing a section like try to do it very classically mm -hmm. and bridge bridge that gap yeah definitely make to switch it to a different style Right. I mean, if any, in any other art form, you're never boxed in. It's not like you're going to look at a piece that someone's doing. And you're like, well, you said you're an impressionist painter. So I see a lot of cubism here and I'm not sure how I feel about it. Like no one will say that. Like if you're a theater director, if you're a writer, you're not going to be like, oh, well, attention, you're not, you know, <laughs> in your genre anymore. Like, no, you're going to be like, that's so cool that this person is well-read or cultured and is able to take so much. So why as singers, we're not, I mean, I know why they don't want us to, but I think it's important that we go against the system. And we'll be right back after this short break. And we're back. I mean, as singers, we, like, we're more of artisans than artists. Yes. No, I, I agree. They don't want you to, to be able to do everything. They want to, they don't want to understand. <laughs> they don't understand us. <laughs> Unless you make your own music and then you're allowed to do whatever you want, but. That's a lot of work. That's not the hasty <laughs> there. <laughs> I know. We got a lazy tetter over here. No, no, no. I'd rather they just write songs or you get famous enough where they write songs for you, you know. That's... Yeah. That's I know, again, that's a, a, another luxury with the theater world is yeah. once you've reached a certain, if you've reached a certain status, new shows are being written for you, or people will just come to you and be like, hey, I want you to do this play because I know yeah. you can do it. And it's like, yeah, let's yeah. go. Let's go yeah, to the races. Definitely, and definitely. Even with like revivals. Yeah. Which is kind of very similar to probably like opera remounting. Mm -hmm. But usually with certain revivals there is a star attached to yeah. it where that will anchor everything be like oh okay well we know that this can succeed and we're going to pick this one person because they know how to do it right right without having to audition because then the pool would be so large when it's like once you get that yeah. play like i'm thinking patty lapone and company yeah patty lapone hasn't had to audition in years that's nice at least for musical theater that's yeah. not bad. <laughs> and she's having roles written for her or right. roles written in the past just being handed to her. Right, right. Because in the yeah. opera world, it's probably, when, once you reach a certain status, you get there. Yeah. But there's still obviously a smaller pool of roles and a larger pool. Yeah. I mean, then again, it's like, for example, you really specialize. We, we didn't really like talk about in detail about like different like sopranos, like different um, categories of soprano. But for example, if you specialize in Wagner, because you're a Wagnerian soprano, um, and you start singing one role all the time, and it's normally like, it normally goes, there's like a few different roles and not many people can sing, where like 
Salome, Brunhild, like that kind of thing. And then you'll just be singing that all over the world and you won't have to audition. Nice. That's, but yeah, and that's the other, that's like the, you know, so you don't have new things written for you, but once you fit into a role, it's yours forever. Yes. It's like, again, it's just so funny just how similar opera and theater is in just like yeah. the creating process and you're using your insert in different ways, but it's so dramatically different. Well, I think we can learn a little bit in the opera world from the musical theater world, especially right now with like the COVID crisis and like ticket sales going down. It's, you know, I think we have to be open to the idea that in order to get a younger audience, we're going to have to adjust. Yeah. And, and I also think it's, what is funny, what I noticed when, for me living in France is I do think more people appreciate opera in France and obviously in Europe more so than they do in the United States. Yeah. Because, and I think part of that is because musical theater is an American art form. Definitely. Definitely. Whereas, I mean, we, we've seen and we've talked about this, there aren't that mm -hmm. many musical theater pieces being performed mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in France. I mean, you usually in most of Europe, unless it's an English-led production, right. because most, because it's not a French form, it's kind of new to them. Definitely. So they'll shift more to the classical operas, because <laughs> that's what, what they yeah. know. Right, and it's also um, where, like, it, like, like, musical education, like, if they have, like, theaters that'll, like, reach out to a school district, and be like, well, we're going to do a program, it's always more classical music than like, you know. And it's funny, in France, um, they're not only cut off from musical theater, but also like English operetta, I guess. Like for example, no one knows who Gilbert and Sullivan is. I mean, who? Which is a who shame. <laughs> well, it's great. But again, like if you're not speaking English already and you don't enjoy like that kind of humor, it's just not gonna work. Or maybe it would, I don't know. Yeah, and it 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 is in, it, it is interesting. Um, I do want to see obviously Paris do more French productions of musical theater, or just simply adapt translating, or even just a French led production. Because I know like Guys and Dolls and Funny Girl are basically both West End companies, and basically essentially yeah. West End shows transferred yeah. over to Paris of course rather than taking the time to make it French to put a French stamp on yeah I on mean art form. yeah I mean the Théâtre Mogador they do they're a French company I think it's called Stage Entertainment but they're based mm -hmm. in Paris and they do French shows but they change all the lyrics into French I know a few years ago they did Greece and I think this year they did Ghost, if I remember. Yeah, 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 yeah. Those advertisements were everywhere. Yeah, so that's like the other thing. And it's like, well, what is musical theater? Is it supposed to be something that we hear in the language it was written? Or is it supposed to be a more popular art form where people don't have to read subtitles? Or are subtitles bad? Or are they good? You know, there's all these... Once you bring Broadway to a non... English-speaking country. It's interesting to see. 
Yeah, it, it is interesting. But then also, again, coming back to the opera world and how they're similar yeah. and how they're different. Yeah. Operas aren't, you don't translate an opera. They like, have. Singing wise, they usually yeah. will have like this little subtitles in front, but you, yeah. like, you will rarely hear Carmen not in French. It'd be super awkward if it wasn't in French, but I think they do have an English version. They, and I, I know because like, I know I've seen, and it's the worst show I ever opera I ever saw with my grandparents, <laughs> Hansel and Gretel. But it was a in, holiday show, yeah, at the yeah. Met, and we did it, and they did it in English. And oh I was just, yeah! I was turned off by the English. I was like, I'm done. <laughs> turned <laughs> off. I did not want to hear the English. I was like, get me the. German. <laughs> but it's interesting yeah. like, you know, I, when people go at step into the opera world, they expect not to know everything that's going on yeah. and get the clues from the, the staging, the sets, the costumes, how they're singing in the orchestra rather mm -hmm. than the text, which is going back to how we started yeah. musical theater. The text is like God, and you abide by that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, but the text, what's interesting is um, the text does create its own late, um, musical texture within 100%. the piece. So, for example, if you were listening to O Mio Babino Caro, so like this piece, this aria from Gianni Schicchi and Puccini, like um, it has this already like a double, like when you sing in Italian, you have to like, have double consonants. So it's like O Mio Babino and that creates its own thing so when you're hearing it being sung you really feel like you're in this energy that is very Italian and very and it helps you understand the characters in another way um so the same thing with Humperdinck's uh what's it called Hansel and Gretel there's this yep. whole duo at the beginning with her they're like clop 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 stock 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 blop 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 they're doing these like heavy on the German consonant thing but it puts you in the mood for that like ambiance of, of, you know, black forest, gingerbread, creepy women. A witch, eating witch, yeah. <laughs> eating each other. Just everything and, we need. Yeah, and so I think it's the same thing for, so maybe that answers are, are like what we were talking about before, like maybe a Broadway show, it needs to be in English because we need to hear that like earnest, like bright language, which is, you know, yeah, well, at the same time, I mean, I know that's why, on the other, like, Stephen Sondheim, his lyrics yeah. are rarely translated. You can't. Because he's going for the rhyme, he's going for yeah. the consonants, like, especially yeah. Into the Woods, the line, um, while, while his withers withered with him, while his dithers dither did him. And it's like, <laughs> what? Um... <laughs> But you enjoy it because it's the rhyme and setting up the fairy tale world. Yeah. I you can I can imagine translating that into French. You can't. Ooh, yeah. I don't know the I don't know the vocabulary <laughs> for it, but Yeah, totally. And I think whatever piece is the the, the original language of a piece, I you know, I think we should stay with that one. <laughs> that was very like un an elegant way of saying don't fucking change language <laughs> no but it's true it's like it's the artist's intention and that's what we see with right. operas right and so that's probably what's cool about opera is that we don't they don't mess with the text 
Yeah. If you can understand what they're saying. Oh, absolutely. So that w one of my last few questions I have yeah. is that I'm working in the opera world, when you're putting up a, a show, how, how does that work compared to mm -hmm. like not having as quote unquote, like the original creative team mm -hmm. with you because they're dead. Do, yeah. you, do you find that harder or does a lot of the direction come from the director or the music um, director in a sense well, like that? Well, yeah, I mean, what ends up happening is that I feel like probably the level that we're performing these pieces and the musical intentions that we're putting, that we're, that we're following are probably pure today than when they were written because people are just so anal. I mean, I guess that's how I say it. I'm like putting my own like spin on it. People are so intent on having what was written on the page and the style and the form be exactly what we sing. Um, yeah. There's like this historian purism to opera. And so you have conductors. So basically there's two things going on. There's the musical aspect of it, which is the conductor. So he kind of sets the tone for the whole thing. And he has an assistant that'll come in and work with you for the tempi, for the, you know, all that stuff. And then you'll have the, the stage direction. So like the director and his whole crew, I say his, cause mostly it is men. And yeah. Um, yeah, and they, you know, either it's a piece that's already been done and it'll be like revived in the sense where like you'll just put the on like, the staging back so like i had to do that when i, I worked once at uh Upper garnier i was the assistant director for rosen cavalier and i was looking at videos for when it was done in the 80s because they had bought that staging and they just wanted to put it back just you know yeah. everything so those are the two different things going into action so i feel that um yeah, there's a lot more like historical work being done and there's certain conductors that are like just Puccini conductors or just Wagnerian conductors and they spend yeah. their whole life. It's like, you know, maybe in a hundred years, Sondheim will be, even when you look at videos of Sondheim's pieces being performed in the 70s versus now, I feel like there's more of like a, like it's almost matured into something that sounds more Sondheim than when it was originally performed. Yeah, I mean, that's what, we're, what I think we're seeing now with company. Yeah. I think company is more like company now. And we can even argue even West Side Story with the revival yeah. today and just how relevant it is. Yeah, and also again, like you said before, like the performers are at such a higher level because we just keep pushing and pushing and pushing it. So I think people singing Tony or Maria, um, well, also, they're maybe choosing ethnicities that, you know, were written for, like, you know, a Spanish girl. They're going to, you know, hire a Spanish girl. I'm going to actually use the ethnicity that's required. <laughs> Shocking for what? <laughs> oh, my God. There's all this crazy stuff going on right now in the opera world, like Aida and, like, the staging of Aida that was in blackface. And they, they're like, we're striking it from the the program at the Med, and it's like, oh. Yeah. Oh. That's, a, that's a whole other episode. It's, I, mean, I don't even want to like, I'm not putting an opinion on that, but it's just interesting that we're finally talking about that. But that's the whole No, it, it really is, especially, it's the same with the opera world. We're, our, 
yeah. in theater world that where we are we're all having yeah. these discussions nowadays, which is right. amazing. Um, so then one one more question I have about like yeah. setting up a show. So you mentioned that like conductors are like kind of taking what's been in the past and just remounting it. Do you then as a performer feel like you can kind of find your own interpretation and have freedom to play around with a few things or is it a lot stricter that you have to hit these marks? You do what they can do. And that's when I go, I'm going back to the fact that I think singers these days are seen as artisans and not artists, is that you have <clears throat> the technique and the musicality to do whatever your conductor asks of you. Um, and until you're a star, and then, <laughs> it's so funny, like once you're singing like at a very high level, then you just do whatever the heck you want. And then the conductor kind of just follows you. <laughs> but um, when you're anything other than Anna, Anna Netrebko, <clears throat> you just, yeah. <laughs> you just, you do what is asked of you as the, to the best of your ability. And of course you can always bring your own interpretation to the character and have your own idea of how you want to play it. But you don't have as much creative freedom as you think you do. Yeah. Uh, my favorite story is I was singing in this um, operetta at Opera de Hans, and we had this actually choreographer and stage director. And I like went up to him and I was like, you know, it's interesting what you did here. I think that. And he stopped me. He's like, your job is not to think. <laughs> well, that's clear. <laughs> Which again is so. Like I said, it's art, artist versus artist, and it's so like bad to think of because I just think of the musical theater world. I think of so many of the these iconic moments that have occurred because there is that freedom to play around. Yeah. Uh, like just because you mentioned Wicked before, I'm I'm thinking of the opening of Wicked, how, how it's this real legit soprano moment. Mm -hmm. and I know it originally was Kristen Chenoweth was just supposed to be belting it all. Yeah. Kristen Chenoweth was like, I, I think for this character, I think she has to go up the octave. Yeah. And, and, she they're, right. and they're like, okay, let's try it. And it yeah. works. And we now have this iconic yeah. entry for her. So I, it, I believe it because I know that's how the opera world works. But it's so hard for me to just fathom that it's just like, really you're fitting into a box yeah and you have well, to be force-fed into it almost yeah well the thing is I don't think it was always like this again like going back to the 60s and 70s I feel like singers really had more of their identity and they were much more in control of their repertoire and they had a real following but um because there's just so little money in opera now as compared to what there was but the but we haven't changed, we haven't downsized, we haven't like tried to find another way to make opera in smaller theaters. So there's still like, so we're basically in this thing where we're just trying to, I often feel like theaters are trying to find their way back to a time that no longer exists. And so they don't wanna take any risks. Like there's, not, there's, there's less of this idea of looking towards the future. Yeah, it's, I think in the opera world, there's, it's the idea of, um, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Yeah, yeah, but it, by doing that, it ends up 
dying. Yeah. Like I remember, I know when Glenn Close came back into Sunset Boulevard and yeah. they quote unquote did a revival of it, but it was basically so, it was the same costumes. Yeah. Basically the same set. It even happened with Cabaret in 2014 where they just did it with Michelle Williams. Yeah. They basically just took the success of the previous production and just remounted it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of New Yorkers a lot of New Yorkers loved it because they're like, we love these shows. And it's yeah. like, there's this whole pride of, the same with the opera world. Um, it's like, oh, I saw this person as this character. I saw the original cast. Yeah. So basically the original cast has been coming back. But it, yeah. it does make the question, like, does it lose what being an artist yeah. is if you're just remounting versus re-exploring which is what we're starting to see with a lot of revivals and we saw that with Broadway with My Fair Lady yeah in recent years it was a totally rechanged version mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um which is very interesting so like, I don't want to yeah. oh go ahead go ahead no 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 go ahead no I was just about to close <laughs> out so you go ahead if you want to no, add something no I was just thinking even like West Side that they took out I Feel Pretty like you would never do that in an opera like say like well this just doesn't work for my vision of it so we're taking out half of act three everyone be like no and that's we're missing that flexibility i think because there's just oh there's just so much money funneling out and people are just well there's a whole lot of reasons but it's sad yeah it is sad because like i mean i i love the opera so much yeah and And i'm forever thankful my grandparents got me into it because now we go to operas every year yeah Um, and it's sad to see people scoff it or say like oh it's a stupid art form and I'm like no yeah it kind of creates this like self-fulfilling prophecy of bad ticket sales just doing nothing new we'll create more bad ticket sales creating Mm. something nothing new yeah it's it's sad but, it is it's, yeah it is it's always the same singers as well like they're never even willing to take a chance on someone new and I guess in some ways in Broadway too but still there's a lot of up-and-coming singers in the Broadway world everyone yeah, gets absolutely everyone gets sure. their fright and also like uh maybe you can test this to the opera world and mm-hmm. understudies and standbys in the opera world I think most people people who love that community when we see an understudy on, we're cheering. Like, yeah. Oh my God. Yes, we get to see this understudy. Yeah. Whereas I think yeah. in the opera world, it's like the name is the role. You're not seeing yeah. the character. You're seeing, so it's like Renee Fleming calls out. Yeah. Because she's deathly ill. Everyone's going to be like, oh my God. We're going to have to see this Renee Fleming hack. <laughs> Which is like, She's probably better than Renee at this point, but Renee, I love that Renee hack. <laughs> a Renee Fleming wannabe. Who are you? Probably just found but her it, on the street. <laughs> but yeah, there is that attitude, I think, with the opera world when you get an understudy. Yeah. And the, then audience members aren't as willing to take that chance to be like, maybe we're discovering a star. Yeah. Because in theater, it's like, in Foster, who is so revered as being a triple threat, mm-hmm. she was the understudy for Thoroughly Modern Millie. Went on one night, and they gave her the role. 
Yeah, that's so cool. It, but isn't it's that, incredible. Isn't that such like an American story? Like, don't we always love that story of the person like, you know, coming from nothing and not being known? Like, um, you know, they knock on, they're bold enough to like knock on the door and then like jump through the window and then show them their tap dance. Or like how many like shows have been made out of that concept? Millions and I will see every one of them. <laughs> We're like in the opera world. It's like kind of like, it's all about people who are already established, like queens and priestesses and counts. And there's just this thing where it's like they, yeah, it's just old world. Which is, you know, everyone loves that. Everyone loves That's, it vintage. Yeah, it's, anyway. Yeah. yeah, so I don't want to take too much of your time. So we're going yeah, to- No, 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 no. No, but so obviously this is a Broadway podcast. I know. Uh, so I do I want to it. ask um, two last questions. What do you love about musical theater? And do you have any favorite- shows that you just love so much or dream roles that you would love to do dream roles again like what I could do or what I'm supposed to do <laughs> this is the question <laughs> um oh god what do I love about musical theater I think it's just um it's it's this moment where you forget that time exists and you're just living in this like beautiful exciting world with these humans that are so talented and everything they yeah. do and um yeah and like as far as what's my favorite I'm gonna go with the vintage one the show that always marked me the most when I saw it and I still listen to it to this day is Kiss Me Kate I'm gonna uh, go with it's it. a good and in that one. case I like to sing Kate it's just I mean you know Cole Porter his lyrics were just incredible and the music is just gorgy um, yeah, it, it, that show is, I think, really, really smart in the lyrics and the music. It's, yeah, it's very classy, you know. It's, um, yeah, and I know, I mean, um, Kelly O'Hara just did it, I think, two years ago, maybe a year okay. and a half ago, when they, because they revived it, uh, I think, last year. Okay. I have a question for you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, your pod I'm taking over your podcast. Let's <laughs> <laughs> do it. Someone can do my editing. <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you think about Kelly O'Hara singing at the Met in Cozy Fantute? Did as uh, a broad fan, did that make you want to go to the opera and see her, or was uh, it didn't necessarily make me want to go to see her? Okay. Mm -hmm. Just because um, I because I had I had already listened to a few songs from that opera, uh, and I I known that I know known the opera before Kelly went into it. Uh-huh. So I with that opera, I was always I always felt kind of meh about it. The music yeah. was good, but I was like, mm, whatever. It's such a dumb um, story. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think that's why I was like, whatever. Uh like it like it almost kind of feel felt like uh it extracted that more to me where it's like it's just a stupid plot. It's like, okay, great. Uh but I was totally fine fine with it I know a few people in the opera world are like very upset about Kelly O'Hara stepping in but for me it was like just knowing Kelly O'Hara she has her training in opera performance yeah and same yeah. with her and Kristen Chenoweth both studied under the same teacher in Oklahoma City mm -hmm. studying opera 
mm-hmm. and we're both going to try pursue the, the opera track then mm-hmm. theater took over mm-hmm. so I was totally I was uh, like when all the clips came online of her or the press shots of her doing it I was like cheering her on I thought it was such a great thing because um. again as we talk about it I mean, even here it's like the worlds are so similar there should not be this stark of a distinction mm-hmm. and it should just come down to style if you have a legit soprano in the Broadway world who wants to say hey I want to sing Carmen yeah it should be given that chance and not be like oh you're a theater person yeah definitely. and the same people with Renee Fleming stepping into Carousel right. Even though that role, the role of Nettie, is usually played by an opera singer. Yeah. A lot of people are still like, oh, well, why is she doing this? Why isn't it? People are like rattling names of Broadway right. veterans that could have easily right. done it. Right. And it's not the point, because to me, it's a good voice is a good voice. You go right. with us for the role. Yeah. I think and the if best. It's a Broadway person in opera, great. If yeah. it's an opera person, best for theater, amazing. Yeah. And a lot of. I'm actually with technique, like even Audrey McDonald, six times. I was about to say it. Yeah. Studied at Juilliard in opera. Yeah, that's the best example. She really is able to maitrise, how do you say, like just own both worlds completely. Yeah, yeah, to to, to own it, to to carve out space for mm-hmm. herself and the ability to adapt. Mm-hmm. She can belt. She can do an opera soprano, mm-hmm. and she can also do a musical theater soprano, which are two very different sounds. Yeah, yeah. Execute them beautifully. Um, but yeah, well, thank you so much for coming on during this yeah. little unique episode. I felt so honored that you asked me, and we miss um, you in Paris. Oh, uh, I'll get back there soon once I get a visa. What's your love? <laughs> <laughs> Once I've allowed that. Oh boy. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Oh, it was super interesting. And <laughs> I look forward to hearing it. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Broadway Babble. If you like this episode, Please listen to any of our old episodes. And in addition, please rate, review, and subscribe to wherever podcasts are available. And drop a comment on our Facebook page telling me what musical you want me to talk about next. In the meantime, keep babbling about Broadway. And stay tuned. Thanks. Thanks.